Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. And welcome to another episode of Zach on Film. This week we are talking M. The 1931 German drama thriller about about a child murderer in the streets of Ber- Berlin as oh, crap. as the police and the criminal underworld try to capture him to make their city safe. Matthew, you said, oh, M. crap. You didn't, I was going to say, you didn't watch the 1951 remake, did you? Actually, I did. Oh, no, Matthew. It was, it was not good. You know, to be honest, as we as we'll talk about that now, the movie was remade uh, in the U.S. in, in 1951, mm-hmm. starring and I forget who it is. Uh, some dude. Some dude. <laughs> <laughs> Wallace Shawn. Star David Wayne is who it was as uh, as the uh, Beck from character. House Calls. I guess I don't know. Oh yeah, that guy. So, M, 1931, yes. directed by Fritz Lang. Uh, some people consider him a very, very good director. This was only his second uh, movie and his first sound film. First with sound, yeah. Yeah, his first with sound, which is, I think, maybe, um, before we get into the story, maybe we'll talk technique, uh, or maybe not technique, but some interesting things about this. I mean, we are just coming out of the silent era, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so having sound and film is really different. And I think when you watch this movie, it gives you an appreciation for what goes into sound design in modern day movies, because you're watching that. And there are periods where it's dead silent. It's dead silent. You know, you're, you're watching these people play on the streets and you don't hear mm-hmm. a bouncing ball. You don't hear traffic. You don't hear cops blowing their whistles. You don't hear, you know, noise, general traffic noise. It's like right. dead silent. Yeah. I read about that. And they said part of that was, uh, cost to rent the, sound equipment for mm-hmm. that long mm-hmm. and they were going to do some extra editing to put it in there but then uh Lang liked it he liked the the juxtaposition of the sound and then going where a point you could see there should obviously be sound like there was in the scene mm-hmm. right before this but he liked the eerie feeling yeah, yeah. that it kind of really is off-putting yeah, i mean in very, a lot of times it's very I, off-putting i actually stopped the movie and tried to jack with my sound because i thought Something was wrong with my computer. Oh, and then thank I kept goodness on you listening. said you were jacking with your sound. <laughs> um, wow. Wow. Oh. Steven. <laughs> Steven. Hey, I was waiting 
for him to say something else. <laughs> but it, it's very off-putting. I mean, um, and it becomes even more creepy and eerie just, I mean, from the opening of this movie, mm -hmm. right? I mean, here is, are these kids singing about some boogeyman that is going to come and grab you and take you off and kill you. And then you pan up to just a woman with her washings just saying, you kids shut up about singing that song about the terrible man. And then she in walks German. up. In German. In German. That's the other thing yeah. we'll get to in a moment. But she goes, get a she goes up, <laughs> she goes upstairs and drops off the laundry to the laundry woman in the apartment building. And they're talking about, oh, the kids sing this terrible song. And then the wash woman is like, oh, at least, you know, they're around. Well, then the clock strikes 12 and apparently school oh. gets out at 12 o'clock. And so she's like, oh, my daughter's coming home. I will start making lunch. And then we cut to the little girl coming home. Uh, bouncing, no, not bouncing, is bouncing the ball the first time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she's bouncing the ball along the street and people are stopping her and she's doing her thing. She's doing her thing. And then all of a sudden the shadow comes out of nowhere. And we cut back mm -hmm. to the mom. She's still preparing lunch. It's like 20 after. She hears some kids running up the stairs. Oh, have you seen Elsie? Where's Elsie at? Oh, she didn't come home with us, but she's probably right behind us. And we cut to this shot of the man with the Little girl, you have such a wonderful little bouncing ball. You see mm -hmm. the man buying her a balloon. Mm -hmm. You see that it's like three o'clock. The mother's now very worried. She starts calling out, Elsie, Elsie, Elsie. And you hear her this distraught in, in, in her, as a mother being very distraught over where's her kid that should have been home three hours ago. And then, of course, you have this dead silence that comes in because you're not putting in your, your world sound effects. Mm -hmm. You see this ball run out from behind the trees and just stop. Mm -hmm. And you see the balloon tangled up in the, in the um, telephone wires or yeah. the electric wires. And then you just fade out. And you know from that moment that Elsie is dead. It is so powerful, that yeah. moment of the movie. I mean, just in the – and you're watching – you're maybe five minutes in. Not very, yeah. Not very far. And you're like, oh, my gosh. This is creepy and eerie. Mm -hmm. And – Fritz Lang specifically did not show any kind of torture or abuse to the children because he said that in people's minds, seeing that ball roll out and knowing that the kid's dead and cutting to that balloon tangled up in the wires, mm -hmm. the people's minds made it horrifying. Right. Right. Make it more horrifying than anything. And for me, I always remember the the little whistling. Yeah. Uh, the Hall the, of the Mountain King. Because for me, that that's the little Einsteins were going to find the Kite Parade song. <laughs> but it's oh, it? so okay. terrifying in that context because it, it, it's one thing for a creepy guy played by Peter Laurie to walk out of the shadows. That that will, in fact, tweak your melon. If I was walking along and I'm, you know, I'm a grown man, Peter Laurie walks out of the shadows <laughs> and is like whistling that song. I'd be like, holy crap. Well, and that's the other thing, too, because we don't see Peter Lorre's face until much later when citizens are talking about who is this monster. And then you see Peter Lorre making faces in the mirror. Yeah. And yeah. then you're like, oh, so that's the guy. And then from then on, you know, it's him. So all before you see the shadow being cast on the wall of, oh, that's a beautiful little ball that you have mm -hmm. there. What's your name to him from behind as he's buying the balloon and whistling in the Hall of the Mountain King. And then you're just like, who is this guy? And I would argue that, and, and part of me wants to argue that they revealed, they revealed Peter Lorre as the bad guy too soon. Too soon. I would have preferred, and I think you could cut out who is this monster part where you could have the men arguing who is this monster. 
and not cut away to this and leave it open to who is the killer. Right. So that then when you cut to the man look, you know, you cut to this strange looking man looking in the window and suddenly this little girl appears in the mirror and you see him suddenly caught up by some fever and then he starts following the girl. At that point, suddenly it's like, oh, my God, he is the murderer. Yeah. Oh, my God. Stop, stop, stop. And then, of course, the girl gets away the first time. Uh, then the second time. Um, well. We'll get to that in just a moment, but, um, it is, it is a tense story. And I wonder, Zach, uh, for a 1931 film, did you expect this as a topic? Child murdering? No. Uh, sex, uh, rape and murder? No. That one, that kind of caught me by surprise, because some older movies kind of just put the, somewhat put the title right, or the plot of the movie right in the title sometimes. Mm-hmm. But this was just yeah. M. Right. So it kind of is just left open. You don't really figure out why it's called M until yeah, until almost, they, like almost to the end. Yeah, yeah. Essentially. Where yeah. Until where they, they start following him. Mm-hmm. M stands right. for murder. Murder. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but there's some really horrifying <laughs> like the thoughts and thoughts topics going around. Well, I mean, and book. and you go in and you look at um. So, you know, th- there's what, four or five, six, eight kids that have been murdered over yeah, the course of these like eight that. months. And Berlin is just insane over what has happened. Right. And just people on the street are getting accused left and right of, oh, you're the murderer, you're the murderer, you're the murderer. Um, we get to see kind of maybe an offside of society that we wouldn't normally see. And I forget, when did... Uh, when did, uh, what was the movie, Matthew? One of us. Um, oh, Freaks. That's Freaks. 1933. Is it? So yeah. you don't really see this underside, grotesque side of society. But here in M, you get to see the criminal element. You get to see the homeless people. And they're eating like leftover wieners that they got out of the garbage can. Mm-hmm. Slapping yeah. a little mustard on there. Smoking, you know, who knows what. Uh, you get to see the prostitutes. And the drunkards doing their thing. So he, we, you really kind of get a sense of that. And as Fritz Lang was um, doing the movie, he was one of these, from what I gather, um, somewhat of a control freak in the actual look of the film. Mm. And there's this one scene, there's this one shot in the in the bar when the police come to break it up or do some investigating to round up the, the, the undesirable people, um, where you just get a shot of the top of a of a table in the bar with the cigars and the beer spilled everywhere. Oh, yeah. Apparently Fritz Lang didn't like that shot and he said, "Oh, there's not enough uh, cigarette smoke. There's not enough ash in the ashtray." So he sat there and he made the crew wait for 45 minutes while he smoked this giant cigar and put the ash just the way he wanted it <laughs> in the ashtray wow. so that they could That's, resume production. That is pretty awesome. And he did it himself. Wow. He didn't say didn't tell somebody else Someone to start else light to up it. and start doing it. He was doing it himself and, and filling up that. Oh, that makes it better. He actually. also needed a cigar. <laughs> yeah. Probably. It was a long day. Probably. So you do get a look at a different side of life. Um What do you know about the 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 Weimar Republic or the Weimar Republic? Zach, anything? No. The, the Wiener Republic. The, the Wiener Republic. This is uh-huh. um Germany's government. That followed World War One. that came out of it, ran basically yeah. 1919 to 1930 when the Nazi party took over. Right. And uh, the Weimar, the Weimar, how do you say it? Weimar. Weimar I Republic. 
the Weimar, Weimar Republic. Republic. The Republic of Weimar. The, the Weimar That's Republic. That's not even a German accent. I apologize to Oh, yeah, it's the Weimar Republic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are people out there right now going, how dare you? The problem was that the Republic basically ran the country into massive debt. Oh. Yes. People were unemployed. People were angry and upset. And this really is kind of how the Nazi party was able to take over because they were making these promises that, um, and actually Chancellor Schleicher, who was in charge at this time, um, that he could Chancellor couldn't... who? Schleicher. Ah! Uh, I know. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, I don't know if I'm related to him or not, but, um, probably not since my, how common a name is that really? Um, I have seen a lot of them. The only other Schleicher, if you do a search on the internet right now that you normally pops up in, in the top of the Tell list, Schleicher. me and, a and a dermatologist. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Chancellor Schleicher. So the whole country is in this depressed state. And what did we talk about last time, Zach, when you've got a lot of people crowded into a lot of space and they're depressed and they're angry, what happens? Violence. Violence erupts, right? Violence. So everyone's like, who is this killer? The police aren't doing their job. Who is the killer? And the police we're seeing are doing everything that they can. They're trying to follow every lead that they're getting. And so it is not uncommon then for... This old man who the little girl asked the old man for the time and he's looking and having a conversation with this little girl. Suddenly the crowd is like, what are you doing talking to this little girl? Where are you going to take her? Blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. so suddenly this man is accused of being the murderer or they're bringing off some uh, pickpocket, pickpocket, pickpocket off the bus. And uh, suddenly someone says, is that the murderer? And suddenly a huge crowd erupts and is just ready to tear this man limb from limb. I think it's it's because of the frustration of what's going on with the people. Right. Right. Um, so I don't know, you know, that's, that's another fascinating aspect of what's going on in this film and a reflection of the society at the time of this story. Right. You said you had something that you wanted yeah, to talk about. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of recently we had the Boston bombing horrible tragedy that happened. And if you're on the internet, um, people on Reddit were scouring pictures and, uh, other social media sites were going through pictures of that citizens had just been randomly taking of the Boston Marathon, and they were going through them looking for possible suspects, and they were misidentifying many people, which led to horrible consequences of uh, the New York Times picking up and running with this, and a 14-year-old boy was... He locked himself in his home because he was scared to go out because people identified him as a bomber. Yeah. And other people were just flying accusations all over the place, which is kind of what happened in this movie. It's exactly what happens in this movie. Yeah. What was the uh, incident? I'm trying to look it up. Um, what was the incident? It was probably in the 60s and 70s where um, these uh, young black kids were being killed. Do you remember that? Was that in New York? Or maybe it was, um, it was in the South. I don't remember where it was. I don't know what you're referring to. Um, where someone was just going around and killing kids. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, this has um, gone on for a while. But, again, people the at the Atlanta same... Atlanta child murder? Yes, the Atlanta child murder. Um, people was, get, uh, yeah, mid, early to mid-70s, perhaps? You know, people just really freaking out about it. Who is this? Who can we accuse? Who could it possibly be? So, even today... Right. Even mm -hmm. today, Zach, even with all this wonderful, great technology that surrounds us, it's not the same technology that they're using in 1930s Germany. No. <laughs> um, but catching the killer is difficult. It's not a CSI Miami or CSI, you know, CSI New York or CSI uh, Hayes, Kansas. 
where they wrap up the murder in right. 45 minutes. Where they yeah. put on sunglasses and make a pun. Exactly. And of course, the fact that this murder investigation had been going on for eight months was really troubling. Right. And this is where the movie takes an interesting turn. And like I said, we are looking and exploring kind of the dark side of society. The criminal organizations are mad because now they're caught in the middle of this. They think mm-hmm. that it's one of our people that are killing these kids. We know better than to kill a kid. This is, uh, you know, un- this is something that's unthinkable. What if we, what if we, the criminals, start looking for this guy? And let's employ the street workers. Let's employ the bums mm-hmm. uh, to be our lookouts. And we will catch this guy. And it's, it's actually fascinating because that, that whole, you know, the, the, underlying story of the criminals wanting to catch that other criminal because even the people who are bad don't agree with what this man is up to. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful. And that's a really weird moment for me. You know, it's, it's kind of that later you'd see things in the Sopranos where, yeah, we're criminals, but you know, we're also this and that. And the, the, the strangeness of this is when everybody starts looking everywhere and start turning on each other and turning specifically on, uh, uh, what's his face? Becker? Oh, Beckett. Yeah. yeah. Beckert. Beckett. Herr Becker. Becker. That's the point where the movie really gets into some very modern, at least modern feeling plot points and, and character bits that are kind of, well, they're still disturbing, what, 70 years later? Yeah. 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 Much longer. 80 years, maybe 31 to 2001 yeah, would be 70. So, yeah. So this is almost a 100-year-old movie. And yeah, it's pretty still, close. And it's it's still that powerful. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the the bums, the only way that they catch this, this guy, the Hans Beckert, is because the blind street peddler who sold the balloon during the Elsie murder... Obviously, the um, light motif of uh, in the Hall of the Mountain King is repeated, and the blind man goes, <gasps> "That was the same. That's the same guy. That was the same song. This guy has to be the murderer." Mm-hmm. Let's yep. the uh, criminals know the uh, the uh, bums are following him around, and because they're afraid that they're going to lose him, one of the bums uh, puts a, a big letter M in chalk on his hand, pretends to bump into um, Peter Laurie's character. And marks him with him, marks him as the, as the murderer. Murder. And then suddenly the big criminal organization uh, starts tracking him down, traps him into a uh, office building. Office building. And proceed to tear up the place looking for him, find him, drag him off to a kangaroo court, to a, you know, a criminal court where he is tried by literally a jury of his peers. (laughs) Yeah. And what's interesting is, even though they're criminals, and, and I find this always weird, and, and I've never really thought about this a whole lot, mm-hmm. but even though they're criminals, they're still trying to do the right thing, right? They're like, hey, instead of just ripping this guy limb from limb and gutting him and putting his head up on a pike somewhere, right? let's have a trial. Let us, let us as the head of the criminal organization, Streuter or whatever his name is, um, I'll serve as the judge. Here will be some other uh, prosecutors that sit here on the bench with me. And then we're going to give you one of our own. One of our own will defend you. And who better to defend and who better to prosecute than the people who have all committed these crimes and know the rules inside and out. 
which is an interesting concept. But by the end of the movie, though, it's the criminal element that becomes the hero to an extent, because they're the ones yeah. that actually mm-hmm. did the work. Yeah. Uh, it makes the police look bad, although um, the fat guy, the, uh, uh, what's his name? The inspector. Oh, inspector. Um, it's not Goober. Oh, no, not Beckman. Yeah, Beckman. Grober. Yeah, yeah, for, uh, not Beckman. Grober. Loman? Yeah, Grober. Grober. The fat um, guy? Loman? Yeah. Loman, that's it. That's right. Loman. Because the kids were chanting his yeah, name. Yeah. Loman, Loman. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he's, the police come off as ineffective. I mean, he does his investigation, and it's only by chance that he gets tipped off to where this... Uh, where they've taken Beckert and goes in there and stops and catches the thief before they're able to kill uh, the criminal, kill right. kill Peter Lorre's character. Uh, so it's really weird in that sense. Um, we'll get to that trial in just a moment. The, the film ends, I mean, we don't ever see the police busting in. All we see are the criminals all raising their hands, so we're assuming that the police get there. Yeah. Uh, and then we cut to the court, the judges coming in and sitting down and we don't hear a verdict, although we know what's going to happen because Schroeder, the, the head of the uh, uh, criminal organization is basically like, why are we letting this man live? They're just going to put him into an insane asylum. He's going to be declared competent. He's going to go back out and the kid's killing starts again and mm-hmm. again, and it's going to be nonstop and we can't allow this. We have to kill him. And of course that plays out just as, as he had predicted, because we see the court basically uh, arguing to lock him away. And then we cut to, three of the mothers of the kids who have been killed crying with the final phrase more or less being who's going to watch out for our children. Who's going to be taking care of our children and the overall message. That's what uh, Lang was trying to do. He was trying to use this as a way to tell parents, you need to watch your children. You don't want this to happen to them. Take better care of your children. Don't don't let them go unattended. And I think when I saw this movie is after my oldest son was born, that's when I really started wanting to pay attention to where he was at every moment, even though he mm. walks right behind me like a little duck, a little oh. duckling, <laughs> everywhere we go, every five steps, I'm turning around to find out where he is mm-hmm. because right. I don't want some stranger to just snatch him out. And it's more because of this movie that it got me thinking about, we do need to watch out for our children. And so from that standpoint, even 80 some years later, Fritz Lang accomplished his <laughs> job in trying to warn the public about, you know, watching your kids. Did you get that message? Was um, it loud and clear to you or not? Yeah, I mean, that that kind of solidifies it. I think there's also some other stuff that he was thrown in okay. there. The whole... Um, well, I read that the original title was supposed to be The Murderers Among Us. Right. But mm-hmm. they, they switched it uh, because he liked the sound of him better, essentially. It's a better title. Yeah, it is. Um, but a lot of people... And when you look at it, it makes sense that He's very critical of the Nazi party coming up. And they, and they said there's um, a lot of people have interpreted that um, that the accusing of like the, the, this murderer is among us. And that oh, yeah. It's well, so, being yeah. so when, when before the Nazis, production, of the, yeah. before the production of the movie began and they heard the title of it, um, the Nazi party who was in charge of the film commission under Goebbels yeah, uh, basically said, um, no, we think this movie is going to be anti-Nazi, and so we will not allow it. Until 
Lang sat down with them and said, Hey, this is what the movie's really about. And then they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, and so he was able to proceed with that. There is a weird aspect though of, <laughs> uh, the Nazi party was always like spy on your neighbors and tell us what's going on yeah. to an extent. The <laughs> criminals do just that. They're spying on everybody and right. informing on everybody and people are informing on everyone. So at an extent, there is kind of a, a little bit of a, maybe unintentional subtext after the fact mm -hmm. that, yeah, this, this is going on and was going on at that time. Yeah. Hitler was in power by the time this movie came out. Yeah. Right. So, um, so there was those, there were those concerns yeah. going on. And I know I said it, Goebbels said he actually liked it. And then yeah. like a couple of years later, it got banned in Germany. It's, it's Goebbels. Goebbels. Yeah. My bad. Goebbels. Um, well, in fact, uh, Goebbels liked the movie so much that um, after its premiere, mm -hmm. uh, he offered Fritz Lang the position of head of the, basically, the movie industry uh -huh. of Germany. Yeah. And supposedly, because uh, Lang had a relative who was Jewish, he was afraid that that would come out and put him in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. So according to the story, the night that Goebbels made the uh, the proposal to him... He fled, he fled, packed his bags, and fled to Paris. Now, there are some um, um, passports and other things that show that he did make several trips back into Germany to take care of his affairs uh, before the big war broke out and before a lot of things happened. But, you know, he was so worried about that that he was able to flee the country. So he was no Nazi lover. But I can see because mm -hmm. this film was so well liked and it came out during that regime that it could very easily have become banned yeah. uh, from that. Should it have been banned, Matthew? No, but you can definitely understand why it was. I think that what it comes down to is there are a lot of there are a lot of really difficult concepts in the world, and sometimes it's hard to deal with them being addressed in a manner that maybe you think is capricious, maybe you think it's flippant, or maybe you think it's too right on and you can look at something and say well this is a story about a child murderer all it's going to do is inspire other people to become child murderers so yeah you can definitely understand why people worry about it but it's that old argument of we shouldn't talk about bad things because bad yeah. things will then happen and i can see that for a long time when i avoided this film i always thought oh there's something really bad about this film that i don't want to well, see is. This because is a creepy film. It is a creepy film yeah. because it does touch on many different things. One of them child killing, which is always a touchy subject with Matthew. Oh, yeah. Um, but it also has a weird underlying context of what are we really doing with the mentally ill in our society? Mm -hmm. In the case of yeah. Beckert, he was just allowed to roam free. You know, he was, hey, you're you're well enough. Just go on. And this is what. The result was now uh, Lang did go and as he was prepping this story, uh, he did go interview a lot of child killers in, in prison to find out why uh -huh. they did it, what caused them to did it, do it. And that kind of led to this realization that they were all had psychological problems. Uh, and then, of course, we get Peter Laurie, who this is really his breakout role. He'd really had just a bunch of little smaller parts here and there. Um, but this film ends up being a maybe one of the first movies that featured uh, the, the psychotic killer. I mean, today we would see this film and it would be seven. Yeah. We would see this film and it would be, I don't know. Saw. 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 Yeah. yeah. 
uh, and that's what it would be. But here's one of the first times that we see a psycho killer being brought up in film and how they're dealing with that. And there are some things. This is a difficult movie to watch as a modern perspective, not just because so much of it is, you know, difficult and brutal. But there's some anachronisms in the filmmaking that can be off-putting. I mean, I can look at this and I can see how you could perceive, you know, maybe a little bit of scenery chewing, especially in that final monologue. You can definitely perceive some pacing that's not the modern theory of pacing. And part of that is, you know, what we call the early installment weirdness. This is film making the rules as they go. You know, there wasn't, or at least there wasn't a codified expectation of what movies were going to be when Lang put this together. Mm-hmm. You know, movies had been around for what, 20, 25 years at this oh, point? Oh, well, since the early yeah. uh, 1905, 1915, somewhere around yeah. there. So, so it's been a, you know, a good it, 20 years. Yeah. Brand new medium. Brand new medium for, you know, 20 years. Geez, you look at that. That's like comic books in 1958. So, when you look at this, this is not something that you can come in from a modern perspective and expect an ABC thriller like Saw or, you know, a similar movie, something like, I mean, even play Misty for me, which is also about a killer. You know, you get to the point where these movies are, I guess, codified differently. Right. right. But this is a movie that sets so much of the pace and so much of the tone where you can actually see them creating the tropes of the psycho killer genre. You sure. see mm-hmm. you see the you know the seeds of Freddy Krueger here. You see the seeds of Michael Myers, you see the seeds of Jigsaw. You see characters behaving in a way that you won't necessarily see again for 20, 25, 30 years. So there are definitely still some flaws in the construction of the film or it's easy to perceive some of the things as flaws. I have a friend sure. who hates movies when they're black and white. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she can't stand it. I know that when I saw Ma, which is what I call it, because <laughs> I thought it was called Ma. Uh, I thought it was also about M. Night Shyamalan, but I'm also stupid. When I saw it, I was confused and, and bothered by the silent sequences as yeah, much yeah. as anything, because those are artistically fascinating now. But it's easy to look at those as a weakness in the film. And I'm, I'm sure that part of the thing is they came around because of the, you know, the price of the equipment. They made a workaround that really makes that part or those parts of the film feel really unnerving. But it was done because maybe we didn't have a, quite enough budget to have the sound equipment for the entire movie. <laughs> So they did a workaround and they, they, they built these tropes, you know, the, um, what is it? The, the jump scares, mm-hmm. you'll see, you know, early expectations of that, but the, the moment where we first see that, you know, the exteriors and the ball and the, mm-hmm. the balloon and the, that murder, that is heartrending and horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And I have turned on every light in my living room. Because we're talking about this movie in the dead of night, right. and I'm the only one awake. And so uh, before we jump into a, a little break here, uh, 1895, yes, was when motion pictures first became, silent films became um, 
more main became somewhat mainstream and, and moving out of experimental. So yes, I don't want people to think oh 1905. Yeah, that's when silent films really kicked off 1905, uh-huh. 1906. Silent films didn't uh, silence uh, didn't become talkies until the 1920s. So you're looking at 13 years of of talking film. So I don't want people to think that oh these guys are just full of shit and don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Um, we are full of shit. But, you know, we're taking talk. we're taking a broad brush to this, yeah. to this. Very broad, yeah. Um, why don't we uh, give a shout out to some of our sponsors for this episode? I the shout out. Das Amidges for this podcast. Fiora Disa Vocha. Virtige Sponsored von Raymond Dollar. Kala Mamakali. Brian Riley. Michael Watanabe. I have no idea what this accent is, by the way. Olin Luttrell. Richard Kubik. Ryan King. Kent Dodd-Daring Heinison. That's fun to say with a German accent. Let me try it again. Kent Dodd-Daring Heinison. Heinison. Casey Bax. Und Stephen Bauer. Dieser Name bedeutet Farmer in Deutsches Bratsche. Man, my German is so rusty as to be oxidized. They're gefickten Schreibmaschinen. Thank everybody for their support of Zach on Film, obviously. Deutsche If you want to find out more about how you can become a subscriber, head over to Majorspoilers.com. All the information's right there. So, Zach, uh, what did you think of uh, – Matthew had said something about the overacting, the chewing the scenery in this <laughs> film. Did, <laughs> that was me explaining how it went. Uh, yeah, that last speech mm-hmm. by Laurie mm-hmm. was kind of – uh, overly dramatic to a point. It, I guess, and again, this is a historical thing. Yeah. That's how you would act yeah, in I'm, Germany during that time period. In Germany, well, actors who were getting emotional and upset would overreact just like that. So this was not... The, did Laurie ever the, come from... Yeah, he comes from a stage? Oh, I don't sure. know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I'm, I'm sure, sure he probably did. All the Full actors in, the, in 1931 were, were stage actors. But I mean that overacting was just part of what was accepted as right. acting of of that time period. But yeah, but even then, even in his overacting, his screaming, his, you know, you shouldn't kill me. How dare you accuse me? Yeah. And, and you know he doesn't ever he doesn't scream mercy. You know he never says mercy. He never begs for mercy. He basically says you can't kill me. Right. You must help me. You have to give me freedom. You have to let me go. And he has a really good rant and plea where he's basically says i'm not in control of myself this thing inside of me which is again fascinating that in 1930 that when we're talking about psychopaths today they're like there's something inside me that keeps telling me to do this stuff and i can't control it and it's like whoa this film is really addressing those issues way before anybody else was thinking about it. now i'm sure that there were uh, psychiatrists and and uh the insane asylums that were trying to to figure this out but just for that to come out then, and then you flash forward to a movie like Seven, and you're like, oh, they're trying to address these same things. Oh, it's something inside of me coming out. I can't control myself. I have to kill. And because I'm not in control of myself, you can't convict me. And he makes an impassioned plea. And even his defendant makes an impassioned plea to say, you shouldn't kill this guy. Uh, or his defender, I mean. And um, Was his defender a criminal also? Was also a criminal. That's what I assumed. Yeah. Yeah. So, like a public defender. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Works for the and state, but the still judge has was pro- apparently a murderer himself. Well, and yeah. that's he points that out. He says, "Hey, you're a murderer yourself." He's like, "Ah, don't bring that up." Right. Um, meaning that I don't know. It's it's it gets really deep in in those spots. Um, but I don't think the acting was too overly done for that time period. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does seem in today's standards. But um, to look at uh, Pacino. Well, Pacino, okay, in uh, Pacino's in maybe, Scarface, maybe not the best example. <laughs> 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 
but but do look at some of these. Um, look at uh, look at uh, um, look at Apocalypse. Silence Silence of the Lambs. You look at Brando in Apocalypse Now. We'll be looking at that down the road. You you can't tell me that the influence of that acting style didn't make it forward. Uh, I lost. This was actually a <laughs> uh, a film, Zach. I don't know if you know. This was actually a, pro- a film produced by Nero Films, which was a U.S. company. Oh, really? Um, let me go down to the find my notes here on who the producer was. Um. Seymour Nibble Nibblism Nibblismill Nebenzel Seymour Seymour Niblets Seymour Niblets I like Niblets. Um, <laughs> so anyway, apparently he had just gone to Germany to visit. He got introduced to the Errol Flynn of Germany, essentially, and he said, "Oh, you're American. You have money. You should you should produce films here." And mm-hmm. they set up this company, and he started producing movies, and. Um, and got introduced to Fritz Lang and started producing Fritz Lang's movies and produced two of his biggest movies, uh, M and then the uh, Cabinet of, um, I forget what the other film is, um, but uh, producing those movies. And he then was the producer of the 1951 American adaptation of, oh. of M. Oh. So there's still that that connection between the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, it's really interesting. It's fascinating to go, the if you own the Criterion Collection... Um, there is a little featurette talking to his son who was, I think he said eight at the time that M was being shot, um, and talked about experiences and how this film came about and his experiences meeting the director and Laurie and those kind of guys. It's fascinating to check out. You can, I think it's on Hulu plus. And so you can check that out under the, uh, associated or related clips that go along with the movie on Hulu plus, which is really kind of cool. And really, if you're looking for criterion collection stuff, Hulu plus has a lot of it. Do they have everything? I believe they have everything. And what I've heard said before. Okay. I don't have the, I don't have the Hulu Hulu plus. Oh, you don't? No. Oh, well, get Hulu plus. That's what I don't. Get Hulu plus. You have to have money to have Hulu. Yeah, I know. You know, you know, what's really interesting, Zachary. What's that, Matthew? From a construction perspective, and I don't want to step on Steven's toes here, but. When we talk about the way films are made, um, there's there's the cinematography and there's the lighting and the blah blah. But there's also when you break it down, in 1931, there really wasn't such a thing yet as a stuntman. So that scene where where he goes down the stairs, mm-hmm. yeah, Fritz Lang just threw Peter Lorre down the stairs, yeah, and then in order to make sure he got it, he threw Peter Lorre down the stairs again and again. <laughs> And again, and it's fascinating to see that final version of it. I'm not sure which take they used or anything, but you look at that and you're like, that looked really realistic. It looks like they threw that man down the <laughs> stairs. And it's because they did. Yeah, that's what I, I read about Lang, that he always, there was some, uh, one of his he wanted movies so much. after this that mm-hmm. they had to burn the ropes off of uh, one of his actors in the movie. They kept oh, had their ropes burned off. Oh, of wow. Yeah. And so they actually They lit burnt. the man on fire. Yeah, the ropes. Oh. Well, he wanted to be so authentic. He hired real criminals to play the criminals right. in this movie, and there were like twenty-five arrests made arrest during the production of this movie. Because <laughs> they, they're like, "Oh, by the way, we found them for you." <laughs> but yeah, and the thing that you that really fascinates me is at this point in filmmaking, the expectation that you would fake that wasn't even there. You know, oh, yeah. there I mean, wasn't. You go back there on. wasn't. We, you know, we'll, let's go get a professional and pat him and have him roll down the stairs so he doesn't get hurt. You just 
just chuck a mofo him. down the stairs. Go back and go back and look at Buster Keaton movies. Buster Keaton never did oh, his own, God. never had a stuntman, did all of his own stunts. Yeah. And, you know, the house falls on him and he just narrowly escapes through the window. Well, that's all balsa wood. Yes. I don't know if he, how injured he would have really been. No, that, mm. that, that thing literally apparently weighed like a couple of hundred pounds. I'm, yeah. But still crashing on him. That could be dangerous. Yeah, now, knock him down. years later, um, he went in to go have some work done and they took an x-ray and they're like, so when did you break your neck? <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. When, what do you mean? Oh, some years ago you must've broken his neck. And there's a scene and I forget which movie where they actually turn a fire hose on yes. Mr. Keaton's character and he goes slamming around and apparently he goes, Oh, I must've broken my neck then. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. When you're not talking about stuntmen, these are the, these are the things that happen. And the fascinating part of it all is nobody thought anything of it. You know, you, you, you throw a horse off a cliff. You throw Peter Laurie down the stairs. We need somebody to pretend drown. Okay, throw that kid in the water. That That is kind of, I mean, if you look at just the, the thought process, that workmanlike thought process of we're going to make this movie. We're going to be as realistic as possible. And yes, you know, this is the same point where people would work in the sausage factory, disappear and wind up in the sausage. Thank you, Upton Sinclair. I can never eat processed meat the same way again. But you have <laughs> notice he said he could never eat processed meat again. <laughs> right. But you you look at that and there's there's almost kind of a a horrifying purity of vision. Yeah. In being willing to you know do that. Now again, I do not condone torturing actors, even actors who have the misfortune of seeming as creepy. As Peter Laurie, who by all accounts was a very, very, oh, very sweet very man. Nice guy. Couldn't whistle, though. Very, very sweet man. Couldn't whistle oh, for yeah. crap. Fritz, Fritz that's Lang. actually Fritz Lang. Lang doing that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but, Zach, what did, from techniques side, mm-hmm. what did you pick up from this film? Anything? Because, really, again, this is one of those that... For realism, throw people down the stairs. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, uh, from a technique, I mean, you see that first shot where they're kind of dolling along and moving yeah. up, and the camera's just moving all over the place. you got to realize they're, they're moving a giant camera, camera yeah. right? Um, but these are one of those films that, yeah, I could use some trimming in the edits. It could be tightened up quite a bit. Oh, there's whole sequences that you could chop out. Yeah. But there are some cool things that are really neat. Like the time where you're, where the whole crowd is crowded around the uh, billboard, the newspaper sheet and someone in the back saying, read it louder, read it louder. And you hear the person reading, you're thinking, oh, it's one of the people in the front. But then you cut to these four men sitting in the restaurant and you mm-hmm. realize, oh, it's one of these people that's reading the newspaper. Yeah. That's really clever use of editing. Mm-hmm. But what technique things did you pick up from this? Um, going right after that scene is when um, the two men start accusing each other of being the murderer right mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. And kind of like what we saw uh, last week in Do the Right Thing, um, they start yelling at each other and they go to kind of a, a first person perspective of that person like leaning in and yelling at him and they right, right. get that uh, person like right up into the camera mm-hmm. lens and just yelling. And so that was, that was a, a nice use of camera. I also like the use of uh, just tracking shots mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, quite a few of them, especially these long ones. When you get into the bar scenes there, that, that whole one, they show all the ash and the spilt beer and the like 75 cigarette and cigars <laughs> right, he has right, on the table. Right. That is in an, extremely long check tracking shot they did right mm-hmm. and it goes all the way through the bar and then ends up back around and uh that was a wonderful shot and then they did another one where it kind of reminded me of citizen came where they did a tracking shot of 
through something mm-hmm. where you kind of wonder, oh, how they did that. Except in this one, I was looking for it because, like, oh, I bet they're going to track right through this window. So let's watch it. And you can see right, right. them pull the uh, the glass right, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right across the lens. So yeah. not perfect. But again, 1931. Pretty impressive. For Pretty impressive. Time. Yeah. No, still really impressive. Uh, yeah, the, the I really like the use of tracking shots and dolly shots to uh, kind of hold the viewer into running down the street at one point. That was a good use of it. Um, but yeah, the editing could have been a little tighter in spots, especially in those arguing scenes. It was still kind of just, just slow. It just wasn't quick and snappy as a modern movie viewing audience would be used to of people yelling at each other. Okay, anything else? Oh, let me look here. And again, for people um, that are fact-checking us, uh, yeah, yes. Hitler Hitler took control as chancellor in 1933, right? but the Nazi party had been around during this time period. Right, yeah, they were there. Yeah, the Nazi party formed in what, 1930? 1919, 1920, somewhere around there. Oh my God. Um, I mean, it was an offshoot of the Workers' Party. Uh, a great... It's fun to say Weimar Republic. Weimar. Of editing and storytelling was when the police and the criminal body are both making their plans to catch this Mm -hmm. murderer, and you're going back and forth, and they're essentially just mimicking each other. They're both in large, smoke-filled rooms. Do you know what that's called? uh, What the technique is? It's called parallel storytelling. Oh, okay. Where you're cutting back and forth between... Between these two different stories that are going on at the same time, okay. and that's really what's going on between the criminals don't, and the. Don't yeah. just repeat the last few words of what he's saying and pretend you knew. No, what no, he was no, going no, 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 Zach. no, no. I knew what was going on, Zach. I knew what was going on. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's cool. Shut technique. up! You'll wake the lice. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh God. Um, there just so there's a lot of visuals to take in in that film. It is not. I mean. Um, I don't think that it is uh, as um, I don't think it as is visual as say um, Fritz Lang's Metropolis, no. which is something that you really should watch if you haven't watched it. I think I've watched bits of it. You probably have the. I don't think the whole film is. Well, maybe it is. I, I think it's I on. Think I think it's on Netflix. Can. But as far as a visual element, Fritz Lang really created a real stunning visual that in that movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has he has that look in him. He gets dark a lot of times, but he doesn't use. I mean, there are times where the sets look just too lit. Yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. I think that M deals with a more mundane setting, and I think that there are times when he's trying really hard to make the setting seem as mundane as possible. And I think that sometimes, like you said, the lighting and the set direction kind of work against yeah, the expectation that we're just looking at some little German village. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's the the scene in the bar really should have been a lot darker. I mean, I, 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 I would have seen that if you see Metropolis and then you watch him, you're like, oh, well, shouldn't that be a lot more moody? Shouldn't that be a lot more contrasty? Yet then when you get into the... Um, into the uh, storage attic, things do get really contrasty. And then when you get into the uh, the court, things mm-hmm. get really contrasty and get that look. But there's that that stuff early on that just seems still too light and airy as far as uh, lighting direction goes. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's 
uh, intentional too, where as the film progresses, it continually gets darker and darker and darker, um, leading you down this really weird, twisted thought process of look how dark and scary and dirty the world really is. Right. Because it's yeah. not, I wouldn't say necessarily a happy ending. Or Oh, it's not a happy ending all. because you know that kids are still dead. Mm-hmm. Peter Laurie's character is sent to the insane asylum. You're going to bet that or he's killed. Going to, it's well, not quite killed. Yeah, I think it's because of the way that the head of the of the gang of the criminal element set everything up that he's going to plead insanity. They can't kill an insane person. He's going to go to the asylum. He'll be released in the process. We'll start all over again. That's that is what I get out of the film is that they didn't kill him. He was essentially this. Otherwise, the women wouldn't have been crying at the end. They would have been happy that the killer had been brought to justice. The woman's dialogue, how how this won't bring our children back to me kind of implies that, you know, I, I think the director wanted to leave it ambiguous enough that you could read it either way because you can read that dialogue as even though this terrible creepy man is dead or going to be dead it won't bring our children back right i i think that that ambiguity is deliberate but you know i can definitely read it either way i think your reading is probably a a more successful one from the way the film breaks down because when you get to the end having that horrible realization that nothing's gonna happen that they've caught the guy, but it's still not going to yeah, fix anything. Yeah. And you have this hollow just sense of, oh, my God, everything is meaningless. I should open a vein with a shrimp fork. Yeah. That's, you know, that's very <laughs> 1930s German impressionist film to me. Did you like this movie, Zach? I think I've enjoyed it more after thinking about it. Um, but I would probably I mean, I'd watch it again. If that is a determiner of how much I like it, did it, it, smack, I would you watch the, it, did it smack you in the face? Because the first time I watched it, I was like, "Whoa, this is, yeah, this is this is not what I expected that, from 1931." Really, that last trial scene of the criminals and uh, the murderer is really, really heavy, mm-hmm. and didn't I didn't see that coming at all? Yeah, I I kind of imagined, oh, the criminals are going to get him. And they're just gonna kill him, right, right, right. And then it go, it went to a place I'd never thought it would, and kind of dealt with social implications of uh, mentally unstable people and what that means, and what and there's a there's a lot of stuff that came out right at the very end, like really close to the end. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. then kind of mm-hmm. just left you. So yeah. what are you gonna take away from this? What what can you use to apply to your film future? I think when you look at the editing and um, generally older movies have a slower pace and that should be expected. And then things have changed now. So when you get into um, kind of when the people are accusing people of whatever big crowds yelling and stuff, people expect a, um, a faster editing style. Mm-hmm. And I, and not that you have to give everything of your uh, is expecting, but it's i think it makes for a more compelling scene if you're going to show a bunch of people yelling at each other and to do it quick and snappy to have a better effect if that's what you're going for um tracking i like the use of tracking shots to get the pull the audience into the film of running and stuff i think that's mm-hmm. a great use of tracking shots and um probably now you'd use a steady cam more than likely to really pull people into it more okay uh yeah so you said, uh, not to 
embarrass you or anything. Yeah, what But I you said that the movies of this time are usually cut a lot slower, right? They feel slower. Okay. Do you know who Sergei Eisenstein is? Dun, 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 dun. All right. Uh, you just heard a million people slapping their foreheads. Oh, crap. <laughs> I just... I saw I it. <laughs> I sense a strange deter- disturbance in a force as though a million fan film fans suddenly slap their heads <laughs> simultaneously. Ah, you, Zach, when you said No, this it, is okay. When you said it... I set I you up. It. I set you up. You did. What'd I do? You pushed him under a bus. I did. Oh, Sergey Eisenstein. Sergey Eisenstein uh, is a Soviet Soviet uh, Soviet also filmmaker, possessor and of awesome awesome buckwheat hair. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he came up with this uh, Einstein's theory of montage. Uh, we come up with why it's okay, uh, yeah, Eisenstein. Uh, why it's okay to break the 180 degree rule? Why to create things that are crazy mad and. Basically, he set the tone for editing, uh, rhythm, pace, metric, mm-hmm. tonal, all, all these kinds of things. And he was um, um, you really need to do some work on on him. Um, his big films that people are going to remember are um, uh, Battleship Potemkin. Yep. Uh, that's where you see the famous um, staircase scene, the, the yep. famous staircase scene that was used many, 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 many times. Yep. But one of his other films, and I'm trying to find the title of it. I want to say it is. Uh, Ten Days to Chuck the World? No, it's like uh, A Day in the Life of Russia or something to that, something to that extent. And if you want to see crazy editing, mm-hmm. stuff that is edited so close together and super fast paced, okay. you need to see if you can track down, um, track down that film, uh, Eisenstein. And you need to. You need to go and look up, and I want to report on this next week. Okay. For your next sack on film Einstein. Just go and do a search for Soviet montage theory. Look up Sergei Eisenstein. I'm on the the wiki. Well, that's a good place to start, as always. Um, That's a good place to start, but but you do need to know Eisenstein. If you like editing, you need to know what his theories were, okay, in in editing. This is important stuff. Okay. this is not one of those, oh, shut up, old man. I'm not <laughs> listening to I'm forgetting all this the minute I walk out the door. He, this is somebody that you need to study um, to understand. And then say, shut up, old man. Schreiber. Yes. Because now you will be hipster and you will know who Eisenstein is. Eisenstein uh, is um, never heard of before anyone else. Uh, you can go to all your friends and say, well, uh, that <laughs> video of yours that you produce doesn't follow the montage theory that Eisenstein uh, developed in the 1920s. And people are going to look at you like, what in the F? And then you can. <laughs> Eisenstein you can, once famously said, even Rocky had a montage. <laughs> you need a montage. Oh, wow. He does have crazy hair. Yeah, he does. Wow. Yeah. Um, he, he also discovered some very interesting things about editing and how you control emotion through editing. So I want you to find out about that test that he conducted. All right. And uh, report back on that next week. All right. So, um, in light of that, we won't count that against you, or I'm not uh, going to count it against you, you this week. Mm, I might. But, oh, uh, hard to say. Matthew, what did you think? What grade does, uh, does Matthew get this, or does uh, Zach get this week? Well, Matthew gets a C plus for a horrifically bad German accent. Anyone oh, and, and also because ever. you watched the, the 1951 yeah, version of the movie, not the, the 1931 version of the movie. It was in English. I've seen the 31. I've never seen the 51 version. I, I, I'm 
surprised you were able to find it because I looked on Netflix. I looked on iTunes. Mm-hmm. I looked on you must have a really good rental store there in the Topeka area. What I because have, I really wanted to Shawnee County Public Library. Oh, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. And my kid has a card and she is brilliant. And now she's probably on a list. <laughs> well, no, now she, she's like, Daddy, can I read that new book? What's it called? Skeleton Crew by Stephen King. Probably not. <laughs> but yeah, she didn't get to watch Ma with me because I wasn't entirely sure that even a brilliant little nine-year-old was up to Ma. But see, the thing about it is M is a movie that is not only in a different language, but in a different language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it is a German movie, but it's it's written at a time when all the rules of cinema that we know were either being made or hadn't even yet begun to exist. So some people would even say that this is one of those movies that gets a little bit too much credit mm-hmm. because, yeah, it does drag, but it drags in a way that is tonally so ongoing and horrible. And it's like real life because it never freaking ends and you just feel like you got to talk like Jack Nicholson. And I feel like Zach got that. I yeah, think yeah. Zach got the, the darkness and the, the terribleness in the middle of it. And I think the fact that even though he doesn't, he didn't know Sergei Eisenstein. Well, and he probably also doesn't know Lev Koloshov either. Right. True. So but that's when you're looking, when you're looking I at your. I can't grade him down for not knowing no, no, no. Eisenstein for two reasons. One, you know, you got to learn these things and learning is here. And secondly, right. You're older than me, and you still can't pronounce Sergei Eisenstein. Eisenstein, sure do. <laughs> I would say Zach is definitely. I said I wasn't going to count that against him. I would say you're probably in a B B minus range. I'm going to say time. B flat, a, a solid B. Okay. He's definitely got the basics of it. You know, the tracking shots are important. The silent sequences are important. The he thing did do about his research, he did. The thing about Ma that is very difficult, and the fact that he even found a copy. That to me, you know, it was on that, Amazon Prime too. You got to go looking for it. You got to know when you're going and you're looking at these old movies mm-hmm. that you're not going to get an experience that is easy to adapt to. And the fact that, you know, this is a kid who was born after Say Anything, a kid yeah. who was born after Heathers, a kid who was born after some of the classic movies of our youth, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, seriously, Miami Vice predates this kid. Yep. So and in addition were, to uh, Eisenstein. You were born after the comic book adaptation of M, which, by yeah. the way, don't read it. No, no, no. Run away. <laughs> uh, in addition to Eisenstein, you need to look up uh, Koloshov, the Koloshov effect. That You'll find that in the oh, uh, like that. Soviet editing. It'd be, it'd be in the Soviet editing part of it. Yeah, well, if you're over on Wiki, it'll pop up. Don't go to the Wikipedia because the Wikipedia is, is open source. No, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a good place to start. Wikipedia is it's, it's open source. I could, I could change it to say this was a movie directed by an elephant. <laughs> I, I, I dare you to go in and change the intro it's, to Earth to Mostly Harmless. <laughs> You do understand why that entry is locked, right? What? What? Yes, that entry and bears are locked. Stupid Steve <laughs> Pole Bear ruins Steve everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach, good job. Good job. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, a little sh- work to go. You got a report that you're going to give us next week. Yep. All on, about uh, Soviet Sergei Einstein. Sergei uh, Eisenstein. 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 Uh, it looks Eisenstein. just like Einstein. Eisenstein it and no, it's got an extra I. It's like there's like an extra like a vowel. It's got an extra it. syllable in the Kulshov effect. Eisenstein. Uh, it's nothing like Einstein. But just uh, I want to I want to report on right. Soviet editing theory. Yep. 
because it'll include both of those guys and maybe a few others. Also, right, yep. in, in, at some Soviet point editing. during the report, you must go la da 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 da. That's what you need to do. And then I'm going to see if you can apply what you have learned about <gasps> Soviet editing, at least the theory, mm-hmm. to the next movie, Casablanca, 1942. We're going to follow Casablanca. Peter Lorre forward. And uh, see one of uh, a role that, uh, oh no, that would be not Casablanca, Maltese Falcon, I'm sorry. Maltese Falcon, that's Peter Lorre. Yeah, Peter Lorre's not in Casablanca. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) I I keep getting I think it's Maurice Chevalier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes, so um, Maltese Falcon (laughs) next time. Maltese Falcon. Maltese Falcon, because I want to follow Peter Lorre, and I want you to take your. Oh, I'm going to watch Casablanca. I'll probably watch them both, because Casablanca is also on the list at some point. Um, I want you to watch Maltese Falcon. It's a detective right. tale. It's a what detective? It's a detective after, tale. All right. After that, I it demand is, something in color. It is a movie that will tell you what dreams are made of. Sounds wonderful. Yes. Um, something the in color after that will surprise you. Ovaltine. <laughs> Ooh. Ah, here we go. Ovaltine. How about this? We will go. I got to write this down so I can get my list right. Write it down. We will do Maltese Falcon. Followed by Manchurian Candidate, 1962 version Ooh. of the Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. Follow that by um, The Sting with Robert Redford and Paul Newman. By the way, the Manchurian Candidate is the reason why Jessica Fletcher got away with murdering all those people. <laughs> Mind control. Mind control. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. So you got that, Zach? You've got it. And you can yep. start watching ahead of time. And listeners, you can watch ahead of time, too. We've got next week, The Maltese Falcon. Followed by The Manchurian Candidate, 1962. Followed by The Sting, 1970. I think that came out the same year Star Wars did. So 77, I want to say. The Sting? Yeah. I thought that was earlier. I thought that was 75. Maybe. I don't know. Let's find out. I don't know. Let's find out. 73. All right. There you go. Followed by. We're going deep. We are. We're going deep so people can get these lined up. Deep cuts, my Followed by. Chinatown. Oh. Oh. So once again, for those people taking notes. Me. Zach. (laughs) Maltese Falcon. Polanski. 1962's Manchurian Candidate. The Sting. Sting. And Chinatown. Chinatown. And then after that, we will have to get into some serious lightening up of the mood. Yeah, we will. I'm depressed already. <laughs> um, Manchurian how Candidate about, is a nice how thriller. About, uh, the Care Bears movie. No, 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 no. Oh. I, I know what we can go after that. If Zach's Ghost Rider. No, 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 no. Singing in the rain. After oh. Chinatown. Singing I'm in the rain. Singing in the rain. I don't know the rest of the song. <laughs> singing in the rain. What a That's glorious feeling. I'm happy again. Something rides with rain. Got a uh, got pneumonia during the sequence of that. That's too good. You got them all written down, listeners. You got them all written down. down. Is that Fred Astaire or is that the other guy? Fred Astaire. And well, I think that's going to be all the time here for Zach on film. Thanks for downloading and listening. Make sure to head on. (laughs) Make sure to head over to majorspoilers.com. and give us your thoughts on him if you have anything to add to conversation. But while you are there, make sure to. The click on the Amazon link to purchase your own copy of any movie that you would like to watch to catch up on 
what past episodes and all future episodes that are coming. It'll be the same price for you, but a little bit will come back to us. We can keep the lights on and make true. great content and for it, you guys. And even if you guys are renting, if you want to use your Amazon Prime to rent um, one of the movies, because they got that streaming service. Yep. Uh, if you want to rent any of these movies that are upcoming, oh, the same thing applies. There you go. All the movies you can watch. But make sure to come back next week as we'll talk more movies on Zach on Film. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money.